Oh my gosh, guys, I'm so, uh, I'm jumping off the walls even more than usual. I have this amazingly hilarious comedian. And I know you guys always give me shit about like wanting to be a gold digger. Well, I'm a gold digger, wanting to marry rich. Guess what? I found a trophy husband this time, okay, guys? He married uh, a doctor, okay? So he's set for life. And not only that, um, he's a USC grad and a UCLA grad, so that must be freaking confusing in his house. But um, he's also an <laughs> author, guys, okay? He's an author who's very generous. I actually saw him at um, Adele's in San Clemente performing, and he was immediately one of my favorites. He actually gave me the book um, that he authored, okay, guys? So I'm not the narcissist who gifts uh, people uh, my book for Christmas. Okay, so he's the author of the Greg Giraldo, a comedian storybook. Um, it's available on Amazon. Um, it's amazing. Uh, he uh, authored it with a bunch of other comedians as well, but he's the main author, guys. Okay, so I'm so excited to welcome the very hilarious Matt Balaker. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? <laughs> Hi, Lee. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I can ever follow up to that intro, so thank you so much. I appreciate it. I think you can surpass it. I have faith in you. Um, so, okay. I have so many questions. Do you, should we talk about the book first or should we talk about your, uh, trophy, trophiness first? Uh, e either way there, there might be some intermingling, but I think, uh, having, uh, you know, being a trophy husband is challenging. So is writing a book, but they're both rewarding. So, uh, we can go any direction you like. Okay. Let's do book. Cause I feel like I, the questions that I prepared, okay, guys, he literally gave me a free book after like we talked a little bit, but I didn't connect that he was the author. So my questions were not about the book. So, okay, let's just do book first. Okay. So you wrote Greg Gerardo, oh, cool. a comedian story. That's freaking amazing as a book. Um, can you tell us like, what made you decide to write this book? Sure. Uh, first off, I was a, a very big fan of Greg Gerardo. When I started comedy, like doing it really seriously, it's around 2003, four. Uh, he was probably the comic I looked up to the most just because he was so consistently entertaining and funny and he never sounded preachy, at least to me. And then he also had this double side of, of being sort of secretive about his personal life, or maybe he was just kind of uh, too busy to really worry about a website. But then fast forward several years to when he passed away, it really hit me. And I was kind of the asshole who would always uh, not understand why people get so sad when a celebrity died, and then when one, uh, then when one I I followed uh, passed away, I actually started crying, and uh, you know I was a little embarrassed to admit that at first, but I've I've had to come to terms with it, and, and so he he was without a doubt the celebrity that impacted me the most, and then um, about five year actually but yeah about five and a half years ago I, I was working at a job that i've that's a different story i'm not there anymore um but i, I was at a break uh, during my job and i wanted to read about him and i went on amazon and did a search and there were no books so mm -hmm. that was my inspiration to uh to write about greg Geraldo. your book is freaking amazing because i knew it was written by some somebody like super duper um educated and funny so like you talk about a lot of serious stuff like because greg went to uh, harvard and he had law school potential and then he was like uh what's the lawyers to come sorry um he was whatever uh, he, he, yeah common law yeah he, um, he went to harvard law school then then started a sitcom called common law mm -hmm. so it was like um it was amazing to see it written in such detail and you talk a little bit about addiction so like um what was the process of writing the book and like 
I mean, did you collect the individual interviews? Because there were a lot of comedians talking about it. So I'm, I imagine it must have been a, a feat. So like, what? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. What was like, just just t- walk us through the whole process, because it's, it's really fascinating to me. Sure. Well, it was, it was several years in the making and probably like many entrepreneurial ventures, I, I never would have done it had I known how much work and all, all that was involved. But sometimes ignorance is bliss. Right. And so after I had that. Uh, is this your first book? I, I, it is. Yeah. Holy, the first shit. Book. Holy shit. Congratulations, man. That's amazing. Thank you. And, and we're coming out with an audio version, too. So uh-huh. for any illiterates out there, if you All like right. books but hate to read, this is perfect. We're, we, we've got you covered. Are you going to read it? Um, you read it? Or you're going to hire somebody else to read it? Oh, it, it, we already it, – it's basically been done. We're just oh. in final production. Oh, okay. we, we, there, we, we hired a guy who is not only a Greg Geraldo fan, um, but he lived uh-huh. in New York City. So he sounds uh-huh. a little bit like him. <laughs> That's hilarious. I love that. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I, sorry to interrupt, but I was so excited. Okay. Sorry. Continue. Yeah. How, how dare you interrupt I me know. on your own show? That's, that's so inconsiderate of you. Okay. I'll shut up. No, I, I will allow it because you, you sent me the Zoom link. Um, okay. But yeah, I, I, I decided I wanted to, to write this book and probably one of the best things I did was tell a lot of people like publicly. Um, and I think that kept me more accountable. So shortly after I decided to write the book, I just brainstormed who I needed to interview and from doing comedy in LA and I ran a show in LA for six years, I had a pretty good network of comedians that I knew well. Um, however, I didn't know quite as many in New York city. And there was one girl I was friends with named um, Kara Foster. And she put me in touch with uh, Greg Geraldo's old manager, Rick oh, wow. Dorfman. Wow. And then, so he was one of the first people I interviewed. And then Rick Dorfman connected me to Marianne Geraldo, which was Greg's wow. second wife, but the one he was with the longest. They, right, right. they were together about 10 years. Um, and then because of her willingness to be interviewed, that mm-hmm. opened the door to, to bigger names. Like Jim Gaffigan did it because Marianne did it. Uh, so it's kind of a domino effect. But the, the summary was, you know, I, I didn't know everyone I wanted to interview before. I knew about 20. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seemed like when I did one interview, it opened the doors to others, or it made me think, gosh, I should interview this other person. And so I, I did about 20, 25 on my own, uh, Lee, and then I needed more money. And I think I just needed more help because the project was get, it was snowballing at a rate that I couldn't manage all on my own. And that's, I, so I, I set up a Kickstarter campaign wow. and I didn't really know how much money I needed. I just looked at what other campaigns were doing that were uh, creating books right, right. and they were usually in like the, the two to $5,000 range. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I put like 3,500. Mm-hmm. Um, so lo- long story, slightly less long. I, we raised more money than, than expected. And also through that, I connected with Wayne Jones and uh, Wayne is an academic librarian in, in oh. Canada. Uh, and he had authored some books too. And he was a donor who happened to be a a huge Greg Geraldo fan as well. And so I was in the process of, of looking at people to co-author with. And um, he was kind of perfect because he had the experience and I think more importantly, the, the willingness to do a lot of work. Wow. I'm going to change the title of the podcast. This is going to be Greg Gerardo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, we can venture back to me because yeah, you know, well, I, we'll I got bills that. to pay too. So. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll, yeah. But uh, that's, that's really impressive because I feel like I, it's so much work writing a book. And the fact that you had so many, you know, you gather so many resources and people, even in the midst of financial difficulty, huge respect to you for that. 
So um, thank you. Yeah, no problem. So like, what was your favorite part about the book? Like, what's your what are your favorite uh, chapters? I guess the, 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 that's a good question. The, the chapter I'm probably most uh, I guess had the greatest swing about is chapter five. Uh, it's called the comedian's mind, and mm -hmm. I say that because um, about four gosh, about a week before we published it, it was dramatically different than it is now. And it was the one chapter that was kind of a transition of the story. And so it was the chance to take away from kind of Greg's earlier life into more, you know, kind of touch on more of the darker subjects. And it was a placeholder, I'm not kidding, for about two years, because we just had some quotes and we had some outlines of a chapter, but it was never really finished. And then we had an interview with Gosh, I think an old girlfriend of his. I, I I don't remember what prompted it, but then all of a sudden we just shifted gears and made it more about the psychology of stand-up comedians and stand-up mm -hmm. comedy, and and that, obviously that's something I relate to too. Yes, so uh, we we ended up chopping a lot of it and then making it more about the the internal struggles of of comedians, and it just hit home, uh, and it's something that I'm I'm now very proud of. I love that. So um, yeah, seriously, I feel like. I read it before I started seriously doing stand-up comedy, so it's super helpful for you to just kind of break it down. So it's not just like a one isolated incident, but like you can draw parallels to everyone's lives. So thank you for that. Um, sure. And like, what do you like? What do you hope people get out of reading the book? Like, because obviously it's very personal as to Greg's story, but I think like everybody, not just comics, can relate to it. So like, what do you hope people get out of reading your book? Yeah, I think foremost an appreciation of what greg actually did because there's this running storyline since his passing that's like oh crap he could have been you know so much more he could have been yeah, such seriously. a bigger name and and that's absolutely true mm -hmm. but what i really want is people just be like damn he was freaking good and yeah. not just good one of the best ever yeah. and mm -hmm. uh, you know I, I make the the i've said it before to me it's kind of like the kurt cobain of stand-up yeah. comedy, at least you know he he he, yeah, he left such yeah. a mark. Yeah. Um, and then hopefully they they you know um, buy it through Amazon because I get the most money there, and then oh, yeah. you know, I can feel better about myself. Guys, <laughs> drop it. So Greg Gerardo, G R E G G I R A L D O for my illiterate listeners, a comedian story <laughs> by Matt Gallagher. Okay, uh, but seriously, guys, get it. If you are on Kindle Unlimited, you get it for free. Uh, but yep. you also get something as an author because it's, uh, we're authors, so we know what's up, but if you, yeah, buy you, you, know, you know, the drill, uh, yeah, we know the drill. So just buy from Amazon, uh, support local comedy, uh, but it doesn't matter. Uh, cause you have a trophy of uh, your trophy husband cause your, your wife is a doctor. So, uh, <laughs> uh, okay. Any, any else? Okay. Cause this book is amazing. Is there anything else you want to add about the book that I didn't ask about? Uh, well, it's important that all your listeners buy a copy for themselves and then True. buy several more that they can True. they can give out as gifts. So that, that's yeah, that's the the big story of all. Should I release it for Christmas? Fuck. Okay, now shit. Okay, now should I really, like I might change my Okay. Anyways, um, <laughs> but bye, guys. It's really, okay, <laughs> I do want to say I just want to say one thing. Do you feel like smart comedy is accepted? Okay, how can I say this? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, because you went to USC, you went to UCLA, you're a smart person. I hate it when people just do dick jokes. I interviewed Felice. She also went to Berkeley and she hates dicks, like not executed well dick jokes. So what are your thoughts on like <laughs> our comedy and then, I, like 
talking about more. Uh, yeah, do you know what I mean? Am I going crazy? Yeah, no, that's okay. Uh, yes, but I like it. Okay. So I, I like well, well constructed simple. dick jokes. I think that's uh, it, it's a good question because on one hand, I, I I think comedy should the goal should be funny, and, and it's sort of like cuisine. You know, everyone has different yeah. tastes, and and I'm not and I'm not purposely being diplomatic. I mean, I I mean yeah. that like yeah. I, I yeah, think exactly. clean comedy can be great, and I think raunchy and mature comedy can be great as long but they all have to be executed well and i think yes. mm-hmm. uh, by by smart comedy what i like when is, is when it's the goal is still humor and mm-hmm. it's not just about like how many big words someone knows or yeah. like <laughs> uh, this uh, some uh, obscure literary reference that we should be impressed by I, I think smart comedy is best when there's an element of surprise and it's presented in a way that doesn't sound preachy like yeah. South Park is a good example. Mm-hmm. I think South Park's very smart, but they'll also have like, you know, plenty of dick jokes in there too. Right. Uh, so I think it's a good balance. I love that. What, okay. what do you yeah. think? What, what, what's yeah, your take that, on that? makes sense. Yeah, smart. because like, I am like trying to really develop my Trump set as a Asian uh, female comedian. So that makes uh-huh. sense. I'm going to be working a lot. Uh, to get this, but thank you for <laughs> I appreciate. Okay, next next thing I did, I did want to ask I, before I forget, what are your thoughts on addiction in general? And like for comics who are struggling with this, like do you have any advice? Like what are your thoughts on overcoming like your demons in general? Gosh, that's that's a super important topic, and, yep. and I'm very ill qualified to answer, but but yeah. I'll do my best. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I think. <laughs> One thing I, I learned from the book is just how pervasive addiction is mm-hmm. and how there's usually a mental component. And I guess the, the big piece of advice is talk to someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, I think it's a little easier said than done because a lot of people with addiction issues, it really stems from a mental health problem. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times those people who suffer from that are just very unwilling to talk about it. But I think to some extent, we all have some anxiety or we all have some mental health issues. Yeah, we're human. You're uh, human. We have to. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I think the biggest thing is just just talk about it. And I don't want to say, well, I'm not naive enough to think, well, that'll just relieve all the stigma. But there there are ways to help. But I, I think the, the one thing I've learned from the research I've did is if you have the you know, the demon inside you, it, it's really incumbent on the person, you know, unless you want to recover, you're not going to. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes the more you talk about it, the more you'll want to do it. But it's it's really not something that anyone can do for you. Um, but when you're willing to do it, there are those around you who can help you get there. Mm-hmm. Love that. Oh, wow. Okay. Jam pack everything. I like it. Um, yeah, anything else you want to talk about the book? Because it is a really good book. Seriously, guys, I got it for free, but I would totally buy it again if I had to. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you can you can PayPal me now if if you want uh, after the uh, fact. Man. What? Okay, <laughs> I'm probably well, no, no, no. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> Are you Jew? Are you Jew? Um, I'm I'm Catholic, so I'm a Christian Jew. I'm confused by that, but you are some sort of ethnic, right? Or am I confusing you with somebody else in that lineup? Are you um, I'm some sort of, well, uh, my, my mom's an immigrant from, from, uh, from Europe. So I guess we're all ethnic in some way, uh, no, but I'm white. Country? I need to know which country, which country? Uh, well, it used to be called Yugoslavia, but oh, now then, it's called okay. Slovenia. All right. All right. Then you got the hustle. All right. Okay. Cause I was like, I got the hustle. this white man get into all these cool schools without any connection. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. 
Um, but seriously, guys, buy the book. Buy the book, buy the book, buy the book until you uh, uh, dream about it in your sleep. Okay. Um, but just buy the book, guys. Okay. Uh, so let's talk about Trophy Husband. Um, you uh, are a trophy husband. You're pretty, like, good-looking for a white dude, and you married a doctor wife. Can you tell us how did you trick her into marriage? <laughs> Well, uh, for, you know, first being pretty good looking for white, that, that was the biggest step. You're kind of um, tall too. You're like what? Like eight feet tall? I'm, I'm, I'm eight foot three, actually eight yeah. foot three and a half. Um, no, I'm, I'm six, three and some change. Okay. Uh, but I think the, that's, a, I, I was thinking about this, like, uh, we, we met online. And, and so I guess probably the first step to, uh, marrying a doctor is, uh, is being willing to talk to doctors or med students. So I, I met her when she was in medical school. Oh, uh, like and, and, uh, UCLA? Pardon? She, it's, she went to USC medical school and actually oh. she went to U, UCLA undergrad, but I didn't know her then. Cause she, you know, she's much, much, much younger than me, like two and a half years or so. Oh. Um, two and a half <laughs> years. But I mean, no, I didn't know it, It's, you know, I, I don't want to reveal her age, but yes, uh, okay. we, we we met uh gosh about what's that you're pretty old <laughs> i am yes okay, thank you i'm sorry I'm but she's not quite as old um i i am but um that's fair enough because the world's gonna end in 12 years and so we'll you know we'll, we'll all be dead anyway so it, it, that's true. you know age age is less relevant i got that got dark uh, we're talking about I, how to I marry, need to a, marry a rich guy and just make sure he dies and leaves me everything. So that's dark too. So we're even. <laughs> right. Well, I, I, and I, I talked to uh, my wife about this last night, kind of just joking about uh, the interview. And, and I had like a real job at the time. I was a uh, uh, investment officer at a hedge fund. Oh shit! Uh, it wasn't like this huge. It wasn't this huge one, but I, I was doing pretty well. You know, I wasn't like a millionaire or anything, but like on on the path to being one. And I think part of that was just, and this sounds super corny, but just not caring so much about what someone does as a profession. And then it doesn't really matter as much. Then, then you just find out what you have in common and, and you just kind of proceed as ahead. But if, if I had this big hang up, like, oh, I don't think I could have gotten into medical school or she must have done really well on her standardized exams, then I wouldn't have focused on actually getting to know her. And, and I, I think the first step is just kind of acknowledging what the person is doing and then not caring about it. Does that make sense? Oh my God. This conversation is so nerdy. But yeah, it, that so, so not 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 caring is the advice I have. Meet someone and then try to care less about what they do, and then you'll grow closer together. You mean people like other people for their personality? I've read that, yes, but oh. but no, I think I, I it's important, and I guess in my case, like I appreciated, I, I was attracted to. Uh, well, obviously, I thought she was very pretty and hot, she's but hot. I was I also attracted. Holy shit, she's hot and rich and. <laughs> well, well, she wasn't rich. She, she was she was in debt. Like I, I was, I was footing the bill on the date. So you know, I was, I was playing the long game. Okay. okay. Um, long game. I see. Yeah, so, yeah. I was the one who was. I was doing a lot better at the time than uh, than she uh, was. No. Uh, but I. I so, so maybe <laughs> that's some advice. Like you know. Sometimes you got to spend money to make money, and and maybe that goes true <laughs> with dating as well. I see. So, okay. So I feel like okay. So you obviously had enough smarts and hustle to get into these really good schools, 
um, and you won the genetic lottery, basically. So, like, for other men who do want sugar mamas and to be taken care of, <laughs> they don't have humor, and they don't have looks, and they don't have charm, and they don't have, like, uh, height. Like, what do you suggest them to do in order to trap uh, a sugar mama? Uh, learn how to roast a chicken. I think that, uh, I'm not kidding. Uh, when, uh, when we were dating, my, uh, now wife was kind of, I don't know if she was just sick or maybe just burnt out on studying. And my, my mom, uh, cooks a lot. So I sort of learned through her. I'm not, I'm not some amazing chef or anything, but, uh, whenever we were sick, she'd always just like cook extra food. And so that was my instincts. And I, I, I brought, uh, I brought her my now wife dinner once uh, and, and she had it for like three days and she still brings that up. It's like 14 <laughs> years later or whatever. So learn how to make a damn chicken. Just Google it. It's not hard. You like put it in the oven for like you know, 375 degrees, for like 40 minutes. Don't overcook it. And uh, that, that, that might, that might seal the deal. And also with a lot, of, I mean, like you're a smart lady. A lot of times Fuck. girls, uh, who who are intelligent, you know, like like you, they they want guys who aren't like pussies about it. Like they don't want they don't want these like timid, um, fearful guys. So just just kind of um, don't overcompensate, I guess. But but just just like cel- celebrate, you know, all, all that she has to offer, and then uh, then it'll come back to you. You know, so I, have nothing I guess that's a way of saying. Yeah. Well, this is what you're saying. If, if you if you don't have my amazing good looks, oh, right. oh, yeah, yeah, which is very very kind of you to say. Yeah. One one way to uh, to uh, kind of get around that is is be a good listener. And again, this is easier said than done, as I'm rambling on and on. But <laughs> I think um, like if 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 I was a, a an ambitious or you know at least a a confident girl, uh, it's always nice to be heard. And, and so if if a guy is trying to overcompensate for who knows what by just rambling on that's not a good strategy but if you're willing to just like ask questions listen and then ask questions based on what she said uh, you'll probably have a better chance of uh, of landing a second and third and fourth and fifth date mm-hmm. what do you think advice. yeah that's all advice it's interesting from the guy's perspective because i just have my female perspective and the, most of my friends are female uh so okay so um when did you know like your wife was a one that God, that's a that's a great question. I'm still I'm still. <laughs> I I think we're um. Gosh, we were dating about two and a half years, and it was around the time when she was finishing med school and applying for um, internships. That that's like what you do after med school, and it's a matching program, mm-hmm. and you don't really know where you're gonna end up, mm-hmm. and. She, I was in LA and she actually ended up in LA, but there was like a, a few month window where she could have been anywhere because she applied places throughout the country. And I think that was the point I was kind of like, Oh crap, she could be gone. And, and that would suck. And I was even thinking like in my job, I probably could have moved somewhere because I could do a lot of the work remotely, right. but yeah. I don't know if I actually would, but I think that was it when I realized like, Oh, there's, there's a very real chance that, she'll move somewhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't really want to do like the long distance thing. So that was kind of my impetus to be like, maybe I should get married. And then, uh, you know, unbeknownst to me, she matched at UCLA. And then that gave me another year or so to, uh, to twiddle my thumbs. Mm-hmm. That's great. Love that. 
So, ladies, uh, you gotta uh, leave if things don't work out, because that's only that's the only time when men will take action. Uh, when uh, it's kind of true. No, it's yeah, sort of true. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm kind of joking, but it's serious. Yeah, I, I do think it is. It is true. Um, okay. Uh, what was I about to say? Oh, wow. I was just engrossed in listening to your story. Okay. So you have kids as well. And then one of your jokes is like, um, you know, we want to encourage female empowerment so that, I mean, I don't want to ruin the joke, but I think you know where I'm going with this. So what are your thoughts on like uh, women achieving a lot and then men wanting to be, how do I say this? Okay. I'll give you the, the context of it. So I was at a mic where people ask questions, like a storytelling mic. So like, there's this panel that asked me questions, right? So I was like, you know what, uh-huh. to everyone, because I am a pretty controversial character in an Orange County comedy scene. So mine <laughs> is like, seriously, if you guys, I don't know if you- You're a lightning know. rod. Yeah. yeah, lightning rod, basically. Um, I wish I was hit by a lightning rod every day at this point. Uh, so much fun. <laughs> but this is the most fun I've had, I think, in my whole life. The last two months have been insane. Um, but anyways, um, so, so you know, I, my, dig is, my bit is like I'm a foreign gold digger, right? So I talk a lot about me uh-huh. millionaire and this is all my set, right? So one guy was like asking me, um, so, and it's not malicious, I know. So we're, we're all comedians, whatever. We're like comrades. Um, so he's like, well, so, okay, you want to marry a millionaire. So you can't cook, you can't clean, you can't do shit. So what do you bring to the table? And I knew from that statement that it's coming from a place of, um, cause this guy was pretty good looking and he's pretty funny. So I'm pretty sure that throughout his life, he never really had to, um, how do I say this? Never really had to, in, in a, you know what I'm trying to say? Because this is a good looking dude who is also a comic, right? So he can just get girls based on that, right? And he had a pretty stable family background uh, from what I gather. So I can understand why he's asking this question, right? But in the right. long scheme of things, and he said he didn't want to get married. So I was like, you know, I, I respect that. I'm, I, I interviewed him too. So his, his interview is going to drop too. But to me, as a woman who's been divorced, I really realized like that's where I went wrong. Like I, I married a guy who wanted somebody to bring something to the table because he didn't like me enough in terms of just who I was as a person. And then he didn't prescribe to the masculine role of being a protector and a provider. And he was like not financially stable so that he'd be willing to get a partner who was contributing half. And like, um, I felt like, uh, and I, you know, the day after I thought about these things and like, I subscribed to more like hypergamous channels about like, you know, only marry the guy who really does love you, who does want to be a provider and a protector. But I do feel like this generation, because women are making it as well, we have to cook and clean and do all the domestic chores and have kids and be a mom and a wife, while the man's role seems like if he doesn't prescribe to the role, because nobody can force a man to be a man, right? That's my thought. So a lot long story short, like, what are your thoughts on, I guess, millennial men and women and relationships? Holy shit, I talk about (laughs) Ah. Oh, that's that's all. Let's let's cure cancer while we're at it too. I think that would be good. To yeah. Cherry on top. No, I, I you know you hit on a lot of important things and uh, I, I I think my my undergrad was in econ, so I'll answer it with kind of an economics okay. bend. Okay. Is like you can't be a maximizer in everything, and uh, and so yes. I think what you're saying is like. More on the women's side, yeah. I, I, I hear a lot of it more. It's like, well, I also have to be this amazing caretaker right. and this right. 
powerful career person and a strong role model for other girls. And, and I just, I don't think you can, that's so much pressure to put yeah, on anyone yeah, to, to, be, to be like, like the, the best. I mean, it's like, if you, the first time you did stand up, if you're like, I am going to be better than Richard Pryor. That's what first, I do. You know, it's like you would, <laughs> you, you, you would, you would never, you would never do it. And I think, I think a little, a little bit of it is, is like the, with, um, with dating or, or just kind of your own, uh, for, for younger people, like kind of their own sense of self-worth is like, you don't have to be freaking the best at everything you do. And a lot of these goals, who cares what people say? You know, it's like, if, if you don't want to be, you know, not, not everyone wants to be a CEO and not everyone wants to make, you know, the best croak and bush or something, you know, I mean, there's, there's like, you don't, you can be really good at your career without necessarily being the best at it. And, and if you think you can maximize everything you do, that's just a recipe for burnout. And I don't think that's sustainable. And I, and I think uh, on, on the guy side too, it, it's like, it's kind of fun to not have to do everything and that way. What, what, well, and, and I mean that like in terms of like, like, like delegation, if you, if you think right, you have to right, do yeah. everything, you're going to, you're going to do a crappy job at it. It's better to specialize in a few things and be really good at those. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just asked a lot. Cause that's, it's true. Right. It's like, yeah, it's, I, I, <laughs> cause I work part-time at golf course to try to find a rich man. And then like, you know, this guy comes oh, that's a good idea. Like a college student. Yeah. I'm strategic. Um, but he, he, I'm like asking him to like help wrap my gifts. And then I know he purposely did it. So I wrote in my Instagram story, like classic male tactic, feigning incompetence to get out of responsibility. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what he did. And I was like, ah, fuck. So to me, it's just like, I don't even want to deal with the guys who think that way because they bring nothing to my life. Right. And it's like, I know I'm capable and like, I have a limited amount of time uh because just i'm a woman if i want to start a family i can't waste time with these like time wasters right so yeah what do you think is there so is you think it's just gonna naturally sort out like the women who do want to do everything for men will get with a man who does expect everything and the woman who does I, I, no i i i think you over time as people kind of mature you realize you can't do everything at least by yourself you know right. you, when, yeah. when, when you cooperate you can go a lot further Right. Um, and and I, I learned that from writing the book, like I needed help. And, and it's important to recognize that sometimes you need help and, and to seek advice from others. And I, I think with relationships, it's, it's a, the, it sounds a little bit hokey, but it's true. Like once you find someone whose goals matter more than your own, then you can be really happy in that relationship. Like for instance, when um, I, I didn't, I never wanted to go to medical school. Like that was not I wasn't pre-med. That was never really a goal of mine. But then when I was dating my wife and she didn't really know what field she wanted to pursue. And then after being together, she, she figured out she wanted to do ear, nose and throat surgery. And I didn't really care about ear. You know, I didn't really care what she picked, but it was just so exciting that like when she finally figured it out, I was super happy about it. And, and I, cause I, I saw the work she went to and then I wanted to help her out. And then, Conversely, like when I, I had some investment jobs that I didn't really like, and I was then pursuing stand-up comedy, and to have her be supportive, especially when I produced shows, that was a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And she would like help me pass out flyers or yeah. tell her friends about it, or you know just get butts in seats. And and, and she never wanted to be a stand-up comedy a comedian, but when she started, 
I guess, loving me. And, and when my goals became her goals and her goals became my goals, then it, it wasn't so much about like, what am I offering and what are you offering? It was right. more like, we're, we're better together. And, and it sounds, I, I, I hear myself saying this and it sounds corny as hell, but when you actually find it, it's, it's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. I love that. So um, how could one impress a, a woman of your wife's caliber, like doctor level? How, what impresses uh, <laughs> What's that? What impresses what rich impress- women or women with a lot of potential to be rich like your wife when you met her? Yeah, I, I'll put my, because I mean, she wasn't like rich when we dated. And so I think what impresses someone like that is different than someone maybe like a Paris Hilton type or someone who just like inherits money. Um, I think it's, I, I think what impresses ambitious women is confidence. And I think, and, uh, and, and by that, I mean, like if, if you can support them and what they're doing without feeling like a doormat, and 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 also standing up for yourself. I I think it's twofold. One, um, encourage them to to do what they want to do without making it feeling like, like their success is any knock on yours. I think that's that's the most important. Like, and that's true in comedy. Like, celebrating someone else's achievements doesn't diminish your own. But if you're constantly trying to put, you know knock someone for something they achieved that makes you look insecure. And, and I, and I think, uh, ambitious women are similar. Like if, if you're out there starting a company and you're starting this like millionaires podcast and you meet someone who is, who is knocking you for that, that's not a good fit. But if you meet someone who not only is excited about what you're doing, but encourages it and, and helps you out, you'll probably more, be more attractive to that guy. And I, and I, I think that's, that's, true for a lot of um women who who have ambitious career goals yeah yeah nail on the head awesome love it so um like can, let's talk okay let's talk about your stand-up because i feel like well okay yeah your book is like, <laughs> about another person and we just talked about your wife the whole time so like can you talk us well your career also uh in tangent so like can you tell us about like what are your favorite topics to talk about like how did you start stand-up comedy how, how did that start Sure. I, I started when I was an intern at Conan O'Brien. This was in, in oh, 99. Shit. Holy shit. You're like a hidden gem. Okay. Sorry. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. Got excited. And, uh, but uh, that was, that was a lot of fun. I did research on guests and, and I did an open mic kind of as a dare with a fellow intern oh. who didn't show up, but then I didn't really start doing it until probably like three years later. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause then I moved back to LA and, and then I really started doing it, you know, kind of seriously, gosh, probably like 2003 or four. Um, and, and, and I, I always enjoyed watching it. And I first wanted to do it more just to see if I could, cause I, I did improv comedy, um, in LA, there's a big improv scene. I, I took classes at the ground lane and Acme theater and that was fun, but it was just hard to always find people to perform with, at least in stand up, You just had to worry about yourself. Like you just had to get your, uh, one person, you know, to the, the club or whatever to perform. Um, and then in terms of topics, I think it kind of changes with your position in life. Like when I first started doing it, uh, I'd gotten dumped by a, like a long-time girlfriend. And that was kind of fun to just talk about that. It's sort of therapeutic. Um, and then I was dating and then I was working, you know, I'd like a, a day job. So it was, the topics tended to be about that. Now I'm a married guy in Orange County with two kids. 
So my, my topics seem to be about that. But I think generally speaking, I like topics with a little element of surprise and ones that are rooted in personal experience. Like that's not to say like everything I joke about happened to me directly, but most of the stuff I joke about has some tie to either something I've done or something that someone I know has done. Like I, I don't, I don't just pick a like a news event and say like, I, I'm just going to talk about the news. If I talk about the news, it's going to be how it relates to me or, or someone in my life. Cause I, I think audiences pay more attention to jokes and stories that are personal than ones that aren't. Mm, that's very true. Yeah. And your, your jokes are very like, I know you put in the work and it's, it's like, it's amazing to witness. Um, you particularly Thank had a Berkeley joke and I was like, I've got to meet this person. So like, <laughs> what are your seriously, it was hilarious. So like, what are your thoughts? And that's what you wrote in the book. Like you're like something about me having humor instead of all these stupid, stupid humorless concepts you see Berkeley. Uh, but anyways, um, <laughs> So, like, what are your thoughts on the millennials who are super snowflakey and vocal and uh, just very passionate but have no grounds? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, we were all there once. I think the sun, I, mean, I think the bottom line is life is so much better when you lighten up. Um, that doesn't mean don't have passion, but, like, not everything can be so damn grave and serious. It's like, we're all going to die one day anyway. So at least enjoy the time you have on this planet. And I think, I think some, and, and it's awful to say like millennials are this because there are however many millions yeah, of them, you know, like, mm -hmm. uh, but, but I mean, I'll, I'll just say this to people who are, are get very like soapboxy and, uh, and try to change the world through tweets. Like, if you want to change the world, do it with your actions, not, not your iPhone. I guess that, that's, that's one thing. Like, um, like when, when my dad was in the, the Vietnam War, and obviously, like, there was a lot of controversy back then about should we be in it, and especially on college campuses. And uh, obviously, I, I think looking back, I wouldn't have been like a hippie. But I, I sort of understand, you know, like, I, I understand, like, yeah, we, we maybe shouldn't have, you know, gone to war in Vietnam. And, and that, again, that's a whole other topic. But my point was, then there were kids who actually, like, took a stand that had a consequence. Like, like I think nowadays, if, if you're, say, at, at, at any UC and, and you're, you're yelling to people about the evils of Donald Trump, that's not controversial. And that's not taking a stand. And that doesn't really, like... You're just preaching to the choir. If, if you really want to make a difference, try to find common ground with people that disagree with you and treat them as a human being. And then from there, have an exchange of ideas. But if all you do is, is call people racist that don't agree with you and, and insulate yourselves. And, and, and a lot of this is like, they can't help it. Like I, I was a little bit that way. Like you go from high school to college and your role models are people who have no employable skills outside of getting government grants and writing academic papers. And they're your role models. And then you're around people who all kind of think the same and vote the same. And, and, and you know, they might not look the same, but the, their minds act pretty much the same. And, and so it, it's, this, it's this echo chamber of sameness. And, and so I, I don't think you can really understand it till you get out of it. So, you know, do what you did, you know, migrate or go to a different country or, <laughs> or be a place where you're actually a minority and a minority to. in your thoughts. I might have yeah. to. <laughs>
So I guess that would be my advice. I'm going to move to Mexico. Even though I got ghosted by my Mexican ex, I do think uh, they can take a joke. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 You got, they're so much better than Americans, just in terms of joke telling. Anyways, okay. So, uh, yeah, thank you. That was a great response. Okay, God, so many questions. Um, so you have two boys. So I do. Yeah. Are your like how how are you raising them? Like, what do you want them to know about the world besides marrying a rich woman? Like, what else? <laughs> oh gosh. Um, in terms of knowing about the world, I I, I think kind of like. Uh, like what we touched on earlier, first can contribute to it positively. Like what can you bring to it? I think is, is a good way. And then I, I think once you find something you're, you're good at or, or that you're willing to put in the work for good things will happen to you. And so that's what I, I want to encourage my, my sons to, um, to be self-sufficient more than anything else. And I think once you're self-sufficient, you're not a leech on others. And I think that's super attractive. So I think, if they find something that they, and I don't want to sound like find your passion. No, I'd like, I want to be able to pay their damn bills. So I, I, I think find a purpose and then your passion will follow. And then once you're self-sufficient, um, you know, good things will happen and then you can work, then you can help others. And, and I, I think it, it all, it all starts with, with the confidence to be self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. So that, that's my goal for my kids. Cause I don't want to pay for them my whole damn life. What? But that's why you advise them to marry. Okay. Anyways, but okay. Well, their their wives can pay for them, but or or I should say, my my wife can pay for them. But you know, oh. I I got Peloton bills to cover. You know, I got I got, oh, I got wow. yoga and waxing too. Oh, nice. That's good. Um, okay. <laughs> so um, obviously you're a freaking genius, and uh, okay, let's talk about <laughs> it a little bit. I like obviously you're obviously stable genius, most stable. So, okay, so you connected with all these people, right? You connected with Judd Apatow. You connected with, like, you know, Greg Gerardo's wife and so many amazing people. Like, what do you feel separates, like, really top-level comics with, like, uh, mediocre comedians? Probably a willingness to be vulnerable. I think at the top top level, um, like, I'm trying to think, like, like, Bill Burr, for instance, is in many ways like a top level comedian. And I think what distinguishes him from maybe someone who's just like a, a very good touring comic is it seems that he doesn't care that much about the audience reaction. It's like he's in charge when he's on stage. Mm-hmm. And so he's willing to endure silence and he's willing to endure kind of not being liked mm-hmm. by certain segments of of like it's the comedy population. And I, and I think that, the, and as a result of that, uh, Lee is, he, he gets his own voice. Um, and, and I, I remember when um, Joan Rivers passed away before I started writing the book, but mm-hmm. there was a lot about her when she passed. And she was just so ballsy. And um, I, I think she had a lot of that too, where she was very willing to kind of bear her soul on stage. And I think that's what separated her from a lot of people who are a little more guarded about their faults. I, I, I think if, if you want to go out there and, uh, and be disingenuous, you'll never really be at the top. And I, and I, I think um, if, if you're willing to kind of share your warts and your 
your pain, uh, you're more likely to be on top. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's just my speculation. I, you know, I mm-hmm. can't say for certain, but that, that's my, that's my theory at least. Awesome. What do you, what do you think? Like, like you're, you're around a lot of comics and you would say, what, what do you think distinguishes someone from like a Greg Giraldo versus someone who's like, you know, a good working comic, but fairly forgettable. That's really interesting because I haven't thought about it because I'm so focused on my, because, okay. I feel like I'm, okay, well, how should I say this without being an asshole? I feel like the people who are really professional, they look at it as a profession. Like they take it seriously, even if it's not their day job, like they wouldn't do anything else because they take it so seriously and they love it so much. Like they couldn't imagine not doing it for one day. So it's almost like borderline obsession because I feel like, yeah you just have to tell jokes because you would die if you it, mentally inside you would die if you don't does that make sense like i feel like the hobbyists totally are like, whatever but like the really serious people are like if i don't do this i'm gonna like die inside and like, i can live, live with myself kind of so i feel like the really good comics are like they're truth tellers they're not just there to tell jokes i mean it's part of it but it's also like they want to like see like Patrice O'Neill he's my ultimate favorite like when I think of great I think of him because he's like a social change agent I feel like you know because he's like so funny but he talks about a lot of stuff that people are scared about and it's like if you gotta be yeah. honest you gotta take risks you gotta do what you need to do you can't be scared of anything because he doesn't give a fuck from what I read about him holy shit he was everyone was terrified of him but like he told the truth and obviously it was hilarious. He's almost like another Greg Durant. It's, it's creepy listening to the um, the roast because it was two now uh-huh. dead guys roasting each other and they knew <laughs> yeah. whether, like they were gonna die and like it was creepy, but also it was like, wow, like they they were very, like who the fuck is this here? Like they were like, they could see into the future and like they, and they didn't give a fuck, you know? Fuck you, I'm gonna be fat fuck you i'm gonna do my drugs not in that way but yeah it was like they knew they were gonna be great and they also knew their downfall but they had to tell it because it was like their mission in their heart holy fuck that was the deepest i've ever gone in this podcast that was well said yeah i'm gonna put a period on that sentence yeah what, what you just said period yeah holy shit okay now back to the trophy uh husband questions uh where am i okay uh, when did you did, did we talk about your first open mic like what did you talk about exactly or just just it was well yeah my first open it, it was in new york city and um i talked a little bit of i don't remember all the jokes but it involved getting dumped um and i think that was you know in some other it was around christmas time so there are probably some corny christmas jokes but a lot of it, I, I think, was, was involved getting dumped. That, that, I don't remember a lot of specifics, but I do remember that, that part. Yeah, that's relatable. Awesome. So, okay, before we share with you all the stalker links on where to stalk you, uh, there, he's married, guys, okay? Uh, be careful. Um, so uh, any other advice you would like to give to listeners or anything else you would like to say that you didn't get a chance to talk about? Um, I, I said everything that needed to be said. So, I think what, what, what you said was true is about uh, comedy is more of a vocation, I think, than a job. It's kind of an addiction. Yeah. So, and, and I, I'm telling myself this as I'm saying it aloud just enjoy every step because there's always going to be someone who's better or has more success in it. And if you just compare yourselves upwards, 
um, it's going to be extra miserable. So just remember you have something to say and en enjoy the process. Enjoy connecting with others. There's going to be people who don't like you. You know, I wish I could just say, don't worry about it, but you can worry. Just don't let it stop you from doing what you want to do. Right. So true. I love that. So, okay. Where can we stop you? What's your website and Greg Gerardo book again? So sure. Yeah. Yeah. For, for, for the book, it's um, on, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, the website, it's at Greg Gerardo book is the handle. Um, my personal Twitter is at Maddie B game, M A T T Y B g-a-m-e um my last name is b-a laker so you can find me on facebook that way um no, those those are those are the best ways to get to get in touch so if, if, you, if you want to learn about greg geraldo if you want to book me for a for an event um happy to happy to talk why is your instagram so weird why is my instagram so weird yeah the name why is it maddie b all that weird shit Oh, because uh, I used to go, uh, that's my Twitter. It's just Matty, oh. M-A-T-T-Y-B-G-A-M-E. Um, that's a good question. When I started Twitter, I used to go by Matty Ballgame as a stage name. Um, and I think that was taken. So the closest thing was was B yeah. <laughs> game. Um, so that that's why I wish I had a sexier story, but that's that's it. <laughs> that's good enough. Whatever. Um, so. Yeah. Thank you so much for this interview. I learned so much. It's been one of the most constructive in terms of like comedian interviews. So thank you so much for that. And thank you for, you know, taking time out of your day. You have two kids and comedic career and a freaking rich wife. Holy shit. So thank you so much again. I <laughs> uh, hope to have you on future episodes if you allow me. Uh, but uh, it's been of great. Of course. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you.